0: Well, first of all, that uh, singing you guys are doing today, (laughs) man, oh man, I'm sitting in the back, and uh, I could hear them singing through the mics, but then I could hear you guys, that last song was just awesome. Man, you guys are really belting it out, and that's good, good to hear. So the the topic we're going to be talking about this morning, um, for some of us, is as scary as standing, looking over a cliff, and expecting a flying suit to catch us. The first time I saw something like that, the heading of the video was Crazy Norwegians. Um, so I don't know if that means the Norwegian started it. It would make sense. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know if they actually started it or not. But uh, like I said, for, for many of us, we're gonna talk about something today that this is kind of a scary topic. Or maybe it's just scary for me as the pastor uh, who's gotta bring it up. But let me just say this. <clears throat> that if we catch what we're learning in this series, All In, All Out, and in this topic we're going to talk about today, if we catch what Jesus is saying about our lives, we're going to find that our lives are far more exciting, they're going to be more full both in quantity and in quality of life than anything these guys who are jumping off cliffs and flying through the air, like a flying squirrel, um, we're going to experience something far greater than that, far deeper than that, because here's the deal. What God's calling us to, what Jesus is calling us to, is something that reaches to the core of who we are, to our very spiritual lives, and it will change our lives and impact other people's lives for eternity. And so we're in a series called All In, All Out, and today we're going to talk about the issue of, of money. <clears throat> okay, okay. Nobody's throwing anything at me. That's good. So, a little bit more. We're going to be talking about uh, the issue of your money and my money. So, we'll make it a little more personal, and still nobody's throwing anything at me, so that's good. Okay? Yeah, we're going to be talking about this issue of, of money. It's interesting because Jesus, we don't talk about money a lot. Uh, If you've been a part of our church for any length of time, we might talk about finances once or twice a year, but that's about all that we do. It is interesting, (laughs) I was just talking with Tristan, we joked about this on Thursday night, a Bible study. The Sundays that we do talk about money, finances, oftentimes that's when we have a lot of first time attenders, and uh, I'm not sure why the Lord works that out, because a lot of people think church is about money, right? I mean, you talk to people, ah, the church, that's all they are about money. Well, we're not, and uh, so but we do need to talk about it because though we don't talk about it much, Jesus talks about it a lot because he knows that if um, what we do with the money that he provides for us says a lot about what our priorities are and how committed we are to what it is that he's called us to do. So this morning, we're talking to Christians, we're talking to disciples. Um, primarily talking to those who are regular attenders and members of our church, okay? Um, so if you're a first-time attender here, we just want you to get the general understanding of what Jesus has to say about finances. Um, and if after this week you're like, I still want to go back and check out that church, we'd love to have you come back, and then this could become more practical as it pertains to our church. Last week we talked about, we kicked the series off in Luke 14, and uh, Jesus was describing for us what a disciple is. And so a disciple is a Christian, believer, child of God, follower of Christ. You know, we use a lot of different terms for somebody who has accepted Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. So he gives us this definition. We kind of broke this down. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. You can go back to the podcast or on Facebook and and listen to it. But Jesus said a disciple is, again, Luke 14, says anyone who comes to Jesus. so we talked about that. The there's not like, there's Christian level one, Christian level two, and then you go up one more level and it's a disciple one, disciple two, disciple three, and there's different levels of spirituality. When Jesus thinks about people who say they're followers of him, he says, everybody is this. There's no levels. You're either a disciple, a follower of Christ, or you're not. And your life will show it. You will be all out for him if you are. Jesus' words not mine. So it's anyone who then comes to him who's counted the cost, who understands what it means that when we give our lives to Christ, we're literally giving our lives to Christ. It's not just some Christian-y, church thing that we talk about. Jesus says that a person who's given their life to him gives their life to him, which by the way includes our finances, which isn't our finances, it's actually his finances that he's giving to us, which we'll talk about today. Then he goes on and says, a disciple's life appears radical. Why? Because a disciple sacrifices self, a disciple releases their possessions, and a disciple impacts others spiritually, for Christ. So our lives appear radical. Because what we're deciding to do is, I'm no longer going to do life this way, the way I've been doing life. Sometimes it appears successful, other times I seem to be screwing everything up. I'm not going to respond to people the way I used to respond. I'm not going to think the way I used to think. I'm not not going to speak the way I used to speak. I'm not going to live for the purposes of myself and what I want to do, but I'm going to live the way Jesus wants me to live. I'm going to think the way he wants me to think. i want to respond the way he wants me to respond. And when we do that, that looks radical to people. Even people who would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Because some Christians think there's different levels. Well, that's okay for you, but for me, I'm going to go ahead and keep my little kingdom going here and do things that I want to do. And I might do some more spiritual things, but I'm going to kind of hang on here. Well, a fully fully following disciple, who by the way, that's what Jesus says all of his disciples are, they are all in, in all areas of their life, from the way they think to the way they respond the way they use the finances that he gives them and he says this is this is how we live and he even says this if you don't do these things if you don't do this Jesus says this okay so don't yell at me Jesus says you cannot be my disciple so it's pretty rough now again not that if we do these things that's how we earn salvation but we've already gained salvation by putting our faith in Christ, receiving God's forgiveness of our sins, and then our lives change and we live differently. And Jesus says, that's how my disciples live. So today we want to talk about how it's living all out in the sense of our finances and how we will spend our money, the money that he gives us. Jesus is talking about this in Matthew 25, it's page 987, if you're using the the Bible there in the chairs. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 starting in verse 14. and Jesus is talking about a parable here. Let me just give you the context as you're turning there. The context is that Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is. That a kingdom of heaven, first century church, they thought in the sense of kingdoms. Today we can kind of think of maybe the nation. So the nation of Christianity, not saying America, but this idea that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we become citizens of heaven. And so he's explaining to us what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven, to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple. Because what's happening is, as soon as he's done teaching this, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to die for your sin and my sin. He's going to spend three days in hell, dying an eternal death for all of our sins. And then he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to hang out for about 40 days, talking to the disciples, making sure they're clear on everything. And then he's going to hand off the building of his church, the bringing people to Christ for salvation to his disciples. To them of that day, to us today. So he wants to make sure everybody's on the same page here as to what it is that we're doing. If we've placed our faith in Christ, what is it that we're doing and here's how we're going to sum this up. You can write this down. We're going to learn that for a disciple, Jesus invests in his disciples financially. Jesus gives us money so that we can invest in building his church. That's, now again, for some of you, this might be so- sounding kind of radical. Interesting. Because our lives are supposed to look radical. Others of you may be going, okay, here he goes, he's going to start, he, Pastor Harold needs a new truck, and uh, he's got a couple houses that he needs to make sure he keeps refurbished, he's got a beach house, you know, in Antarctica, and so he's got some place that he can go hang out. Listen, this is not, Grace Community Church, Grace Point Church, this is not what we're about, okay, and I'll talk more about it at the end, but. What we're talking about here is we're talking about how do we take the money God has given us, pool it together as a church family to reach people for Christ. Okay? Um, There's a bunch of reasons why I drive mid-90s pickup trucks. It's not because, you know, financial issues as much as it's what my son can work on. So we want to make sure that, you know, keep them running. All right? So Jesus invested his disciples, us, financially, gives us money. So, let's read Matthew 25, up here on the screen. He says this, so Jesus is telling a parable, this is Jesus talking. He says, for it, the kingdom of heaven, or growing his church, is just like a man who, uh, a man about to go on a journey, who called his own disciples and entrusted his possessions to them. Last week we talked about, we give up our possessions, you know, so he gives his possessions to them, to one, he gave, he gave five talents. That's money. Real quick clarification. A lot of times what we'll do as Christians, we'll go, well, I don't give financially, but I give my time. Okay, Jesus, when Jesus is talking about finances, he means money. It's kind of like the people who go, well, you know, I don't like to do fasting. Um, for those, you know, who might fast, I don't like to do fasting from food. I want to fast from TV. Okay, when Jesus was talking about fasting, when Paul's talking about fasting, he's saying fasting from food. Okay? Because we're driven by our desires for food and for money. Alright? That's kind of our basic desires. No personal, you know, responses about food to me. Anyways. So to one he gave five talents, money. To another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey immediately. So, if you're not catching that, this is Jesus going to be leaving. He's giving financially to his disciples immediately. The one who had received five, immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. There's some point where we stand before the Lord one of these days. The one who had received the five talents came up, brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I gained two more talents. What did the master say? Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away, and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed? The master is not confirming this with the guy. He's saying, You thought this way of me? You know, there's an issue here. The slave is not quite catching what the master is all about. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unbelievable words from Jesus Christ, as it pertains to the finances that He provides for us. Now, I don't want us to get um, caught up. You know, today in our in our world in, in America, especially, we understand that slavery is was a bad thing. Okay, and, and it, it it went poorly. It wasn't a good thing to do. It was. Not morally right, okay? So we get that. But what we need to catch here, Jesus is not making a a saying, hey, let's all have slavery. What he's saying is, here's a reality. There's masters and slaves and how that plays out. Here's a reality. Me, Jesus, and my disciples, same basic idea. We get it that Jesus, as our master in that sense, is perfect awesome, infinitely good, always out for our best, all that kind of stuff, okay? So I, I, didn't, I felt like I need to at least say that. Um, we should all kind of catch that in this. So what I want to do is I want to do a comparison here real quickly between the slaves and disciples uh, moving forward. So Jesus invests in his disciples financially. So a slave is purchased by the master, Right? Everyone kind of gets that system. Not a good system, we get that. But it was a system, and it, it leads to an illustration here Jesus is trying to make. So the so slaves purchased by the owner. Disciples purchased by Jesus. Alright? is what it says here in Scripture. Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's Jesus. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's radically different. That's looking different. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to return one of these days. Who gave himself for us to redeem us, to purchase us or buy us back from every lawless deed and to purify for himself. A people for what? His own possession. When Jesus died on the cross, the payment he made was a payment of blood that took care of our sin. And so he paid with his life. But he didn't pay with his life so that we can go just live life however we want. When we realize that and we give our lives to him, now we are his possession. We are his slave, as it were. We're his disciple. We're his follower. A disciple is one who follows after, doing life the way Jesus wants us to do life and for the purposes that he wants. Okay, the other, another comparison. A slave owns nothing. Right? That makes sense? Everybody follow me that? The slave doesn't own anything. In fact, the slave doesn't even own his own family. He may be married and have kids, but ultimately the master owns those people in his life. He owns nothing. The master provides everything, and and a good master knows that you take good care of your your slaves, you're going to get good work, right? They're going to be motivated. We've got the best. We've got God, right? Who's going to provide for us. And so a slave owns nothing. A disciple owns nothing. We own nothing. Psalm twenty four tells us all the way back in the old testament tells us this. God says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. If you've given your life to Christ, well everybody is owned by God in that sense. All right? But if we've given our lives to Christ, He owns us. And we want Him to own us. Let's, you know, we want that. It's the best for us. But we own nothing. My awesome pickup trucks that I have, uh, my my massive mansion on the uh, few miles off of the bay—it's not mine. It's it's God's. Kim's not mine. She's God's. My kids aren't mine. They're God's. Everything that I think I own is not mine. It's God's because He's allowed me to have it. He allows me to have the breath I have. He allows me to have a a mind to think and a a body to take care of floodwaters in the Tuesday morning when I walk into the building. Another comparison. A slave exists to grow the master's business. And a disciple exists to grow Jesus' church. That's why they exist. The only reason the master has slaves is if he could do it himself, he'd do it himself, but he's expanding his business and there's more things to do, and so he he buys slaves, and he puts the slaves to work for his business. They're not getting anything out of it other than maybe what the, the masters be able to provide better for them, but it's not. they're not building their kingdom. They're not building their businesses. You know, a slave doesn't have a little side business. You know, he does a little slave consulting on the side. You know, that doesn't happen. The whole purpose for their existence is to build the business, and, and it's the same with Christians, disciples. The only reason that Jesus left us here on this earth is for us to build his church, to grow the church. Here's what it says Jesus, this is actually John three, seventeen, and then seventeen eighteen. We remember we talked about John seventeen, Jesus' prayer for us. So I've kind of just kind of combined them here really quickly. He says, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then he goes on in John 17, talking to God, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, disciples, into the world. So Jesus came to bring salvation to mankind, and he left, and now that's our job. That's the only reason we exist, is to bring his message of salvation to mankind and to grow his church. But if we're focused on doing that, then how are we going to take care of our other needs? Right? I mean, if I'm all focused on doing church all the time and, and helping the church grow, and, and how do I take care of my family? Well, a slave, their needs are met by the master. Again, he owns nothing. He has nothing. If the master wanted to take food off of his table, he would have no food. If he wanted to go scavenger for some food, the master could find out. If he wanted to be a mean guy, he could just find out where he's scavenging and take their food too. Take the dumpsters out of the way. You know, I mean, the master could do whatever he wants. But the master knows if my slaves are well taken care of, then they can go fully focused on making sure my business increases. Well, we've got a far better... Go back, please. Thank you. We've got a far better situation. Our needs are met by God. We've got a, an infinitely good, all-powerful God who says... Now... <laughs> Matthew 6, 32. Normally we talk about 33, but I'm going to throw 32 in there. So, again, Jesus is talking... He says, for the Gentiles, or non-disciples, is what he means there, eagerly seek all these things. And what things? Meeting the daily needs. Right? Right? What, what is everyone worried about at work? I should get paid more. Nobody's, you know, Nobody cares about me around here. I should be getting paid more. Everyone's worried about their pay. Worried about their finances. Worried about making sure they can pay the bills. You know, there's a reason for some of that, is that we're kind of living outside of our abilities. But anyways, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God knows what our needs are. He also knows what our wants are, but He knows what our needs are. God's got this. He's got it figured out. So how do we handle that? Well, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. In other words, live like Jesus to draw people to Him for salvation. And all these things, your daily needs, will be added to you. And when I talk about needs, I'm not just talking about clothing and food and our cars and all that kind of stuff. He's talking about our emotional needs, our mental needs, our spiritual needs, and our physical needs. You see, a lot of times we think, okay, well, maybe God will take care of my emotion or my, um, my physical needs. Yeah, okay, I got a job and all that kind of stuff. But can I trust him with my emotions? I've been hurt by somebody. You know, or or uh, I don't like how somebody lives their life. I, I'm not sure if I want to do it God's way because I'm not sure if God will meet my emotional need and so that I can respond the way he wants. And so what do we do? We respond the way we want to respond. You know, Our mental needs, you know, we start thinking in a certain way, in a, in a depressed, downward spiral type of way. And, and God says, listen, take my words, think on my words, think what I have for you, the promises I have for you, who I want to be for you. But we're like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's better if I just sit here and watch six hours of TV. Yeah. You know, I use that because there's been days where I come home, I'm just spent and I just put the TV on. Next thing you know, it's ten o'clock at night, and I'm like, I've just sat here and watched six hours of TV. It would have been a lot better if I sat six hours with the Bible. And everyone's like, shh, that's radical. Right. That's the whole point. Sometimes we got to, you know, people who have cancer, sometimes they slam it with radiation, and then they back the radiation off. Well, sometimes in our lives, you guys, if we're dealing with sin in our lives, wrong thinking in our lives, this is just a side note, free advice, sometimes we've got to slam it with God's Word. we just got to just literally pour ourselves into God's Word or have His Word poured into us by reading it, studying it, memorizing it thinking about it, and go to work, have it with us, come home, and just spend it until we go to bed. That's radical. I get that. But isn't that better <laughs> than what we try to do? Ah, I give the Lord 20 minutes. Oh, he's not changing the way I'm thinking. Okay, but you're only doing 20 minutes, and you're listening to junk music or watching TV for nine hours. You know, I mean, um, again, Not making fun of anybody because, sadly, there are days that I do that same thing. Disciples, non-disciples, chase after these things. Sadly, many disciples chase after these things because they don't understand, they haven't grasped the fact that God's got it. And we're just thinking wrong and living wrong and spending wrong and doing everything wrong. I mean, you know, look at your credit card bills. Look at your checking, your checkbook. What are we doing with the money that he gives us? So we can live all out if we understand this and invest his money in growing the church. All right, move on. I'm starting to preach. Gotta back down. So a slave, their faithfulness shows their partnership. And the same thing with a disciple: faithfulness to doing life God's way, to building, growing Jesus' church shows partnership with Him. Look what Paul says in Philippians. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, Philippian Christians, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel for the first day, from the first day until now. And so the, the slaves in this story, the two of them, showed their, their partnership with the master, that they got it, they understood what he was all about, and why he was doing what he was doing. He was a good master, and they were going to do whatever they could to help him build his business. Well, a disciple, that's how we demonstrate that we're all in for God, that, we're, that we get what Jesus did for us, why he died on the cross for us, that, that he that he provided for us an eternity in heaven, so we're going to spend eternity in hell. He's done so so much awesome things, That we say, okay, I'm going to go all in for this. If I can trust him for heaven, I can trust him for this earth. And so I'm going all in and doing life his way. The third slave did something kind of strange. It doesn't make sense. Did you catch it? First, he says, I don't, I think you're, Master, I think you're doing business wrong. I don't like the way you do your business. And I think you're hard and unfair. Then he does something strange. He hides the money. Now, he might have thought that the master wasn't coming back. And then the master shows up. Because back then, you know, people could go on trips and get killed easily robbers and all kinds of stuff. So maybe he thought the master wasn't coming back. The master comes back and he brings the one talent. And he blames the master. For being a bad guy, and that's why you only get your talent back. And the master's like, you thought that of me? You didn't realize all that I've given you, all that I've provided for you? You didn't see how I do my business? You didn't see any of that? You thought that I was something other than I was? You're not part of my partnership. You you don't get who I am. There's no relationship there is what Jesus is saying. And what he did was weird, because what he did is he brought the one talent. He could have gone into the bank and at least made some money, but he didn't do that. So the supposed hardness and meanness and unfairness and bad practice-ness of the master, bad practice, business practice, I knew that, I was just kind of making a joke, but nobody got it. the the reason that he brings that and so now he experienced that part of him the judgment of him and as disciples Jesus' point is this that if you say you're a disciple that you understand all that Jesus has done for you that you really understand that if you had died prior to coming to Christ that you were to spend eternity in hell and that Jesus died that Death for you, and then he gives you financially to help build his church, and you go hide that, that makes no sense to him. And he says, basically, like he said last week, You can't be my disciple because you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know how gracious I really am. You don't know how important this is. You guys, listen, we live 80, 90, maybe 100 years, and we die. And then we stand before the Lord. And I, I've said this before, he doesn't care about how many houses I've owned and how many of those I've remodeled. He doesn't care about how many trucks I've forced Hagen to work on. He doesn't He doesn't really care. As long as I'm good to Hagen, then he cares about that. But anyways, he doesn't care about any of that. What he's looking is, he's going to look past me and go, okay, this... You see, however many people you've impacted for Christ, how many people you've made an impact, whether it was me directly or me giving to my church family who then they went out and made an impact, I get to be part of that. That's what he cares about. In 100 years, none of this matters. You want to have 10 houses? Great. They're going to burn up. The only thing that matters is what have we done with Jesus Christ? What have we done with what he's given us? Last comparison. Faithfulness is the basis of reward. And faithfulness is the basis of reward for a disciple. Both slave and disciple. Our faithfulness is what's rewarded. The talent is given based on ability. Previous faithfulness. You tracking with me? He gave what? According to their ability. Their ability was their previous faithfulness. And so they responded according to their previous faithfulness and then he gave more based on that and then he rewarded based on their faithfulness. So as Christians, when we are faithful to live life God's way, already in that relationship with him. He provides for us. And then as, we, as he provides for us according to our faithfulness, so that faithfulness can change, it can increase. And as he gives more finances to us, we then respond, and he rewards us by our faithfulness. But here's the key remembrance. The slaves, when they were given more money, What did they do with it? Put it into the master's business. They didn't go buy themselves a brand new chariot. They put it into the master's business. So as Christians, God meets our needs. He provides for us financially to meet those needs and to build his church, grow his church, and then next thing you know, we get more money. Suddenly, somehow, we get a raise or... You know, insurance—you know, not insurance, but uh, inheritance or whatever. You know, we get suddenly, God bless us with some more money. The, the the problem that Kim and I have is, okay, what's the next room we can remodel? <laughs> you know, that's kind of how we think right away. You know, oh, we can fix this and that on the on a truck, or we, we need to be thinking, okay, God's given that money to me, so what? Maybe I have a need. A lot of times, it's kind of funny, by the way. Kim and I, anytime we get some extra money in. We're waiting for the next shoe to drop because every time we get more money in, something happens to our truck or to the house or health-wise and all that money I had planned for a new rifle or handgun goes to take care of that need. It's just kind of interesting how the Lord works that. He meets our needs. But again, it's for the Lord's benefit. Okay, i got to fly through the next stuff. Hey, we're going to skip through... Go to slide 30. Um, I really cannot get over how these days go. Anyways, so Jesus' disciples that invest in growing his church. Let me give a real quick background. I'm going to try to fly through this, and I really apologize, but I'm going to try to fly through this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians, who are very wealthy, by the way, and he's saying, hey, listen, you guys promised that you were going to give to the growing of Jesus' church but you haven't quite followed through. So Paul's the the one who brings the message to him saying, hey, you need to get your act together, follow through on what your commitment was, and since you're not doing that, let me tell you about the Macedonian Christians. The Macedonian Christians, they're under affliction, they're being persecuted, unlike you guys in Corinth, They're, they're being persecuted. They already didn't have a whole lot of money, and they have given over and above what they don't have. So that's... That's his challenge to them. So now you guys, get your act together, start giving financially to grow Jesus' church because you said you would. Why? Because they're disciples. All right? So from that, we get kind of an attitude. How's our attitude when it comes to, pray, uh, to giving? First, we're supposed to give generously. They had a great ordeal of affliction, but there was an abundance of joy. And out of their abundance of joy and deep poverty, isn't that an interesting combination, Paul said. Abundant joy, God is awesome. What Jesus has done for us is awesome. We just love him so much. But we've got nothing. But what we do have, we're going to give, and it overflowed in the wealth of the liberality. Listen, God's not saying, I need a whole bunch of that money back. But what he's saying is, you have to have a heart that's willing to give whatever it is that I call you to give and trust me to take care of your needs. They didn't have anything, but they gave a lot. They gave generously in God's eyes because they gave what he called them to give as they made that decision. Next one. Give because you want to. For I testify according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. They gave because they wanted to. They gave because they understood who Jesus was. They understood what he had done for them. They understood that God was their provider, and so they wanted to give. It wasn't something that they were guilted into. They gave out of joy. Next one: Give because you're committed to Jesus. Look at this. Look at these people begging Paul, begging us with much urging. For you can tell Paul's like, "No, you guys, listen. You don't have anything. You guys can barely put food on your tables." Don't feel like you need and they're like, no, we want to do it. Begging him. We want to participate. Why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. Why? Because they were all in and they were going to live all out for Jesus. Knowing that Jesus was going to take care of their needs. They might not have driven around in the best chariots or had the best donkeys. Okay? They might not even have multiple donkeys. They might even have only had one. Or they may have had to borrow a neighbor's donkey. Hey, no, whatever. But they did what God called them to do, what they f- believed God wanted them to do. Next one. Give as part of your spiritual growth. The Corinthians, they abounded in everything. This is now he's talking about the Corinthian church. You abound in everything. You abound in faith and utterance. It means you, you talk about the Lord a lot. Knowledge, you understand the Bible. In all earnestness, you are dedicated and you're serving, you're doing all kinds of good stuff and in love. You're sacrificing for people and caring about people and all that kind of stuff. And then he says what? See that you bound this grace, work also. Give financially. Because we have a lot of Christians who think, well, I do a lot of stuff with my time. I'm involved in a lot. I know the Bible a lot. You know, so do I. But Jesus still says, I've given you financially in order for you to help build... My church, to grow my church. The next one. Give to imitate Jesus' sacrifice. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so you through his poverty might become rich. So what's he saying? Jesus in heaven comes to earth, poor. Sacrifices, so that we can become rich spiritually, spiritually and respond financially, which makes us less rich financially, potentially poor, but in the United States, you know, we, live all, we all live pretty good. And I've lived under the poverty line, by, by the way, and we still live pretty good. But here's a real quick thing to remember. Jesus, heaven, came to earth, became poor, died, sacrificed, gave everything up. But the Bible also says that he did so because of the joy set before him. What was that? He was going to go back to heaven. He was going to get all that back. Here's the key point. You guys, we could give up all... God's not asking us to give all of our money to church, but we could. Why? Because when we die, we go to heaven. So if we live 80, 90 years, and we're living in a tent up at the bay through the winter, in one sense... That's awesome. Because we know that all of our money is going to church, my church family, in order to see other people come to Christ. And when we go to heaven, we got heaven. And all the rewards, by the way, that he wants to give us on top of that. And then last, give based on what God has given you. It's according to what a person has. Not according to what he doesn't have. So God's given us all something. Some of you have more than I do. Some, and I may have more than some of you guys. But it's based on that. So takeaways. We're gonna fly through this, and you guys are always more than welcome to come talk to me about these things. And some of us, you might go, "Huh? What?" First one is this: study the main point. Study that out. Get into the Bible. Make sure that what I'm teaching is what Scripture is teaching. What God says. Okay? Don't. I don't expect you to trust me. But study it out. Secondly, Jesus' church is planning A through Z for accomplishing accomplishing his mission. Here's why I say that. I've had a lot of people say to me, Well, I don't give the church, I give it to another Christian organization. Wonderful for Christian organizations, what we call parachurch organizations. You know, great that they're out there. Appreciate their willingness to try to help the church out. But here's the deal: the church is what Jesus Christ set up. Those other people are trying to do things outside of the church's um, accountability. And I'm not saying that they're wrong in doing it. All I'm saying is that's just the case. They have their own accountability. And they have their own reason for seeing people come to Christ, ultimately for people to come to Christ. But there's other reasons too. What I'm saying is this. It's the church that Jesus set up. He didn't set up parachurch organizations. Churches were to send out missionaries in the first century church. Okay, There was no youth parachurch organization working in the schools. The Church was working in the schools. You see what I'm saying? So we need to be giving, he says, to his church. And what I was talking about before, I'm going to say real quickly we are not a health and wealth preaching church. When I say Jesus says to give to Grace Point Church, okay, because we are a local representation of Jesus' church. When I say that, I'm not lining my pockets. I don't see what you guys give. I don't go count the money and divvy it out, like some churches do. It goes down to Fremont, our main campus. The elders decide what salaries we get. The elders decide what we're gonna do with the budget. You guys, who are members, vote on that budget. This is not a make Harold rich scheme. If I wanted to do that, I would be preaching a lot differently than what I'm preaching, okay? We're not a health and wealth gospel type church. That's not what Scripture teaches, and that's not what we teach. That's one of the reasons why I drive mid-90s pickup trucks. And by the way, when we give to Grace Point Church, we're giving to keep the building lit, air conditioning in the building, updating the building, taking care of floods that happen during the week. And unfortunately, because of where we are financially, the fact that we're about a couple hundred dollars short every week, about $800 short a month, that's what we can do. And thank the Lord for that. But we want to get to a point where our building is kind of taken care of. We're, we're all taking care of our building financially. And then we give over and above. Or not, that's probably a bad way to put it. But we are able to give more as we grow. More people come and more people give. And pretty soon we're going out into the community and we're going to make an impact for Christ. we got to take care of the building first. That's our responsibility to make sure that this building stays you know, in shape and looking good. Third, ten percent, Old Testament tithe. It's not required, but it's a good start. So people say, "Well, what you know, Harold? Do we have to give ten percent?" The Old Testament followers of God, He commanded them give ten percent plus give over and above ten percent. There were times where they were supposed to give over and above. We're freed from the law, so therefore, we're supposed to give as God directs, as God moves in our hearts to give. To give generously, to give sacrificially, to give as we look through those attitudes. Ten percent is a good place to start. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I could do ten percent, try it. Because what did Jesus say? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Watch God put and I gotta be careful. Because you're not gonna put God to a test in a negative way. You're gonna put God to a test. And you're gonna say, Okay, Lord, I'm gonna give sacrificially. And I'm going to, you know, maybe there's some things that you need to look at as a family and say, okay, um, this is a want, and I really don't need that, and for the sake of Christ, I'm going to stop doing that want, and I'm going to give that to the church. This is a need, I need that, so we're going to take care, of, you know, hang on to that, and I think the Lord's okay with that. You know, you got to kind of work through your, your budget. But the point is, whatever it is that you do give to your church family, God's going to make sure that if that want was a need, That you're going to be able to handle that. That he's going to be able to meet. But again, we talk this way, we're very Christianese, but do we have the faith to take a step and do it? That's the question. Are we willing to take a step and put God to the test in the sense of, he says he's promised to do this, now am I going to try it and see what he does? And my experience has been every time he does it. And if it was a want, and I've never gotten it back. I didn't need it. Golf evidently was a want because I haven't played golf in 15 years. Four, consider giving to grow with grace. This would be considered over and above um, giving. So give as God directs, but then it is over and above um, that we would encourage people to prayerfully consider. And just long story short, we a um, year ago, I guess it was January, a year ago, January, we did a Grow with Grace campaign. We were trying to get the Tiffin campus launched. So Grace Fremont did a big campaign, and they said, you guys do the same campaign, but focus on your building. We need a new roof. We need a pa- parking lot sealed. We needed two HVAC units um, that had gone out. And believe me, it was a difference in this room um, when they weren't working. Um, the, out here, you may see there's a cedar cross with some wood siding. The rest is vinyl, uh, but that's all rotted. And it's buckling. Now we've got this insurance potentially issue with the flood that we had. So we 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 have this over and above. And so we're hoping to raise sixty thousand. We're at about thirty-eight thousand within uh, you know almost two years now. And so we need to get that. In fact, we decided we don't want to do an asphalt as, um, asphalt shingle roof. We want to do a metal roof because of the wind. I don't know if you've ever been up on a windy day. This this building takes a Uh, massive beating okay just talk to Pat and Greg and the guys who have to go up and fix the roof every time the shingles go blown off Um, so a metal roof is probably about $68,000 is what we've looked at but we're willing to hold off making any changes praying that we don't get holes in the roof because we think that's better for the building um, long term so anyways just some extra stuff there but so if you'd like to know more about the growing with grace you're already giving financially but you want to maybe increase and put some towards growing grace, let me know. I can get you more information about what that is, what that looks like, okay? Sorry to rush through this, but um, one of the things we don't like to do is torture people and take up a lot of their time and um, way over. So let's go ahead and stand. Let me uh, close out in a word of prayer. Just again, next week, we'll meet here, 1030 service. For those who'd like to go down to Fremont for um, a free chicken dinner, um, to celebrate Fremont's 80th anniversary, we'll all carpool down there and, and uh, check that out. So, uh, but meet here 10:30. All right. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, we want to thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. Uh, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. And uh, Lord, this whole issue of money—it's—it's it's really close to our hearts. And um, even talking about it makes me nervous because uh, I know how people and I know how I view money and what I do um, and what I want to do with money and, and sometimes I don't want to give it up. So Lord, I just pray that you would move according to your will in the hearts of each of us and lead and direct us as you want us to, to move as individuals, as couples, as families. And Lord, help us to be willing to take a step of faith and to, to put you to your word and watch you move in our lives and see people come to Christ. Praise Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. Have a great day. Enjoy the beautiful weather and represent Christ well.